Matthews carries to the red line, runs into traffic, played it in over the line. Nylander caught through in on goal and scores! A broken play, but Willie Nylander goes backhand to forehand. Now the Leafs countering, here's Nylander in on the wing, a shot, scores! Willie's got a shorty and the Leafs have a 3-1 lead. Centering feed again in front. Backhand, Nylander, back in front of the goal, he scores! Wee Willie banks it in off a defender to tie the game at two. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Bananas, Brent Gunning, William Nylander, 10 goals, 12 assists, 22 points, three back of Elias Patterson's 25 points, and three back of Austin Matthews' 13 goals, He's off to an incredible start. He's also recorded a point in 15 straight games. Eh, ignore the ooh, game was where he got the phantom second assist on the power play. Yeah, goal. no one's ever got one of those before. We should definitely <laughs> dwell on it. Yeah, I saw the replay on that thing. I, I still did not necessarily see where his stick made contact with the puck. And boy, what an incredible Let's go job. back to the 80s and watch every <laughs> single one of Gretzky's points. <laughs> All right. I know you hate, hate, hate the fact that the Leafs are, are departing this continent and going to Sweden. What yes. if this is? What if this is? It, it's a. It's going to be culminated, punctuated mm-hmm. by. Okay, so Leafs play first game on Please, Friday. Please, uh, yeah, I'm dying to hear this rosy version gonna, of they're it. They're not going to play on Hockey Night in Canada I on know, Saturday. It's, no, it's awesome. It's actually so good that the <laughs> so thing I build my week around is taken away from me. It's awesome. You're going to have to wake up early to watch them on Sunday. No, I'm play not. At 8 no, o'clock not, in the morning. No, I'm going to miss it because my kid has skating oh. at 8.30, so it's just <laughs> awesome, actually. It's freaking great. <laughs> 2 o'clock on Friday is going to be nice. Yeah, no. Uh, no. What, 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 better time, what better time to sit there revved up to watch some Maple Leafs mm. hockey because it will have been a hundred. Mm. It's been 84 years. <laughs> That's what I'm going to feel okay. like. Yeah, okay. Sorry. That's, You're okay. selling me on but it. What if, what if, yeah, what yeah. if, instead of playing on Hockey Night in Canada, it's the Leafs get the talk of the hockey universe as they always do because William Nylander puts pen to paper on an eight-year extension, Matt Sundin at his side. Sure. And and they were waiting. This is it's been agreed to. Yeah, they're waiting for this moment sure. in his home country sure. to have him sign the extension. So, in order for that to be a good thing, I would need to believe that the only reason he would sign it is if they're going there. Because what he, he's he's precluded from signing contracts in North America. What if William Nylander is is willing to take a cap hit that is a million dollars less per sure. season sure. with the assurance that the Leafs will play at least one home game in Sweden each and every year for the extent of his tenure as a Toronto Maple Leaf. Nylander 9 times 8 but they have to go to Sweden every year is that the devil's yep. bargain you're giving me? Yep. Yeah, done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, to help the Leafs, I would gladly do this cuz I know everyone thinks I selfishly hate this just because I hate it. And I do selfishly hate it just because I hate it. But a big reason why I hate this and so much more coming off of this weekend is that it just nukes any momentum they built. And I don't see how taking your team out of a rhythm for effectively two weeks can be seen as a good thing. So that's the reason why Mm. I dislike it. But if you're telling me the Leafs get some benefit of it, which I do not believe, but sure, we'll live in your poppycock scenario. Then sure, it's a great thing. All right, Leafs have two games in Sweden Friday, Sunday. Ah. They're off until then, and then they're off again after playing awesome. those two games awesome. until it is the following awesome. Friday. It's a, it's a lot of days with 
Very few Leaf games. All right. Let's bring in our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It is Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for Daily Faceoff. Dot com. I guess the crisis is over here in, in Toronto, Frank. How's it it's going? It's just begun. Are you sure? Yeah. yeah no, it's a the, different type yeah, of it's very, crisis. It's actually a very different crisis. We just moved from one to the other. It was like Should full I, period. Just hang up and call again. No, no, you're <laughs> good. Same thing. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah the crisis is that they're not playing hockey games. And now they're good. Like they figured it out against uh, what was the best Canadian team in the NHL. The Vancouver Canucks made them look like a peanut uh, on Saturday. Um are the Maple Leafs fixed? Like, where where are you? On, I mean, man, no Ryan Reeves in that that game. So he has to. He's he's locked in what minus one million. Um, and who knows when he gets in the lineup again? But that, that was a pretty good test for for both teams. And I, I would say for a Leafs team that had not played a home game in which they allowed fewer than four goals against to get the high flying Canucks in here on Saturday and shut them down to no five on five goals was pretty impressive. It was. Um... But here's my hot take. Maybe they were never broken. You said they're fixed. Mm. Defensively, they were broken. Defensively, they felt pretty broken, Frank. The And you know what? You just have to go back a day prior to watch them blow a three-goal lead that we don't talk mm-hmm. about because they won the hockey game in a shootout against the Flames and also looked much better on Saturday against the, the Canucks. That was a game that did employ Ryan Reeves. So he, he I mean, he's the connective tissue for me between a team that that looked like a, a fully formed team on Saturday as opposed to what we saw on Friday and what we've seen for the majority of the season, at least defensively. Mm-hmm. Well, the, I mean, the fight was certainly there too. And that, I think, was important. But it was really interesting the way they went about it, right? Like you get the instigators mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're in trouble and it's like, could we have maybe handled this a little bit better? But then you're not going to fault them because those are all the same things that you just complained about for the mm-hmm. last week of this team not having that. But I think the play is way more significant. And if some of those defensive miscues and communication issues can be cut down on, that's a big win. I just kind of look at the way these first, I don't know, five weeks of the season have gone is really more or less to me the highs and lows, the lulls and successes of an 82 game season. Like I don't look at it as anything more than that. Yeah. I think, I think if there's a, the Leafs are fixed, it was moving Max Domi to a third line and kind of having a little more, I won't even say balance, but just a home for, for all these guys in in the lineup. But I think there's definitely something to what you're saying about it's a long season with peaks and valleys. And okay, I guess the Boston Bruins, they're allowed only, only peaks and very little valleys in their season. But outside of that, pretty much everybody has the, the ups and downs. The, the, I think the bigger question coming out of this weekend is Klingberg sat Friday. They called it an injury. He was back in re, he was, he was a quick healer. Boy, it's amazing how how fast that it goes. It is unreal, isn't yeah. it? Reeve, and they were they were really quick to point that out that he was injured. Too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was interesting. Uh, and then Reeves sits out on Saturday night. You know, it's not lost on uh, literally anyone under the sun that those are two of the higher, the two biggest pressure points. Exactly. Not only from the roster construction point, but you know, Klingberg gets the second most money in terms of AAV. Reeves getting the longest term in the three years there. What do you think the dance is there? That Sheldon Keith 
Chief has to walk and how much do you think Brad Living is a part of that? And I don't just mean in their relationship, but kind of league wide. Like, how do you think coaches handle a situation like that where you have two players who were, you know, p- big parts of the organization's offseason plan that, that just to varying degrees don't seem to be clicking? Yeah, I think the answer or the proper answer is that the the coach has full autonomy to do what he wants, that it shouldn't be about contract or off season or whatever else may come into play. We know that it eventually does. And there's sometimes a nudge from the manager to the coach. But in this case, I, I believe that Sheldon Keefe has, you know, full ability to, to make the lineup choices that he sees fit. Um, that was, it was interesting to see Klingberg pop back in on Saturday. Cause I was thinking maybe it just makes sense to let him get a week to mm. get his bearings. Right. That's what I thought. sort of mental reset before going home. And then the sort of, you know, the joke that I saw from the spit and chicklets guys was like, Hey, if you, if you play poorly over there, we'll just leave you here. Don't worry about coming back. We'll, <laughs> we'll just leave you here in Sweden. Yeah. Uh, and he was he was capable enough on Saturday, right? Uh, wasn't on the ice for a goal against. I mean, Maple Leafs were. It's not still not ideal. Like that's the that's he's, the baseline we've gotten to right now. Is Frank? He's a four. He's a third pairing defenseman making more than four million bucks, right? Like he's yep. yeah. You can deploy him on the special teams and 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 power plays look good, but he's been like kind of in and out of that role as as power play one quarterback as well. Um, he's only on the hook for the one year though, but the cap hit is massive. Yeah, Brent mentioned the three years for Ryan Reeves and maybe we can go back and, and revisit the contract negotiation that required Brad for living going to three years to try and prime away from, I guess, Minnesota wild uh, trying to retain him uh, again, but we'll like, and, and yeah, may, maybe this will look different at the end of 82 games here, but it does feel like both uh, moves, both Klingberg and Reeves were predictably not going to work out all that well for this Leafs team at this point. Like well, what's, what's the bigger mistake? Well, I was going to say predictably, I think, is the key word in that statement is I think everyone kind of was looking at these two transactions saying, oof, like, did you see Klingberg play mm-hmm. in Anaheim <laughs> and in Minnesota last year? Like, I, I just went back and read a scouting report that I wrote before the trade deadline of whoever, you know, picks up John Klingberg is a lot of the same mistakes that we were seeing 16 months, 18 months ago are now the same thing again, even going back to his the end of his tenure in Dallas. So that's problematic. That's an issue. I, I The Reeves one is a different calculation because there's, a, there's an off-ice component to it. There's an on-ice component to it. How do you properly value that? You know, is, is the term, in, in an odd way, I think the term is actually kind of a blessing because what it did is it lowered the AAV that made it easier to bury should you need to mm. send him to the Marlies. Because really the way they arrived at that point, I believe, at least the story I was told, was that other teams, including the Wild, were offering a higher AAV on a two-year deal, and the Leafs essentially took it and spread it out over three years. Mm. And in that case, it, it may, that part may actually come to be a benefit. Yeah, that's as that, scary as that is to think about. No, that's good to point out. And uh, I was really thankful when Ben reminded me about the three-year term because Gio set the record for oldest Leaf to ever have a fight <laughs> and uh, f- at 40 years old. And I'm pretty sure Ryan Reeves will be 40 in the last year of that deal. So uh, may- maybe, maybe he has a chance uh, to to break that record. In terms of the, you know, uh, coming out of the Flames game, we heard this stuff about Zadorov, uh, the, the mm-hmm. tweets from his agent. Obviously, we know he's one of three kind of pretty high-profile UFA D-men they have there. What 
do you think will cause something to move there in Calgary? I mean, my understanding of the situation is the Flames willing to move him, but kind of want to do it on their own timeline. Do we have any idea of what that timeline is and what do we think Calgary is looking for? The timeline is really whenever someone steps up to make an offer that the Flames deem suitable. It's they're looking for the best deal that they can possibly get. And typically you're not going to find that in November with a pending unrestricted free agent. So that's the tough part is now with the trade request being public, it actually works in the opposite direction for the, for Zadaroff and the flames. If they wanted to make a change now, because everyone looks at it and says, Hey, well, you know, this is what we're offering you. Cause we know this guy's trying to get out of there. And it wasn't exactly subtle on his part, you know, sort of the idea that, as part of a list of teams that he'd like to go to a reunion with Brad tree living and, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, <laughs> you know, after that game, after scoring a goal, after a big hit, like maybe could have picked a better spot to drop that out there. Well, but didn't it feel calculated in that respect that it's, yeah, Hey, well, it was, but it's gone the other way. Like know, it's it now gone stupid. where the flames are digging their heels in and they're saying, okay, so you're going to embarrass us like that. And he has to step back into that locker room because there was no, to my knowledge, prior communication before all that came out where they had sort of acknowledged that and they kind of learned about it publicly. It doesn't help the situation. So, like, what is... I, I, I don't... Listen, we can't get into uh, his agent's mind or Zadorov's mind here, but, like, what is the the potential upside there, right? Like, is it that... The the Leaf fans in general see the game that he plays, sees the big hit, sees the goal, sees the obvious need on the blue line, and says, "We, we this this cannot stand Go, going another week without acquiring Nikita Zadorov." <laughs> yes, like I, I just I don't understand what what the goal was. That's in, it. Okay, you got it. Leaf fans frothing at the it. mouth. Yep. Good mm-hmm. job, Ben. Is, has there ever been an instance where that's that's taken place as far as, like, the, the fans r- r- clamoring for a trade and it taking place within days? Like, I don't know. It's just seemed really. poorly calcula- calculated. Well, and it was just sloppy, really, if you want to be frank about how it was handled. It, you know, not informing the team. Like, there's a way to go about things. Mm-hmm. There's a way to – there are no secrets here either. Like, that's kind of the best part about it is – the way this season has gone for Calgary, they're not really sitting back under any, you know, thought process saying, you know, we really should hurry up and sign Nikita Zadaroff to an extension. Like everyone knows that it's trending in that direction, that he's going to be traded before the deadline on March 8th. It's a matter of where and for what. Yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see it play out. And yeah, it's certainly a questionable strategy. I'm, I'm with you guys questioning it there. Uh, uh, the other team in, in the prairies there, Alberta, they make the coaching change that I think a lot of people expected coming. Maybe they make it uh, after the win that surprised some people there. Um, the obvious line a lot of people are drawing is, hmm, McDavid's old agent is the president. Hmm, McDavid's old junior coach is the coach. You know, it wouldn't be the first time a star athlete exerted some influence over their uh, surroundings. Do we think that? what's happening in Edmonton and is it a problem if that's what's happening I personally don't I I understand how I I saw the reaction I got on social media when I said you know pointed out the connections that their CEO Jeff Jackson has to Chris Knobloch their new coach but people are looking at it like Connor McDavid has got both hands on the steering wheel and driving the bus for the Edmonton Oilers I you know I don't know him super, super well, but I've gotten to spend plenty of time around him to know that he wouldn't say bleep if his mouth was full of it. 
So I have a really hard time <laughs> believing that he's in there pounding his fist on the table saying, we need to change out Jay Woodcroft and we need to bring in my coach from junior hockey from 10 years ago. <laughs> I, I just, I'm way. sorry. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't buy it. And if anything, he probably loathes that this conversation mm-hmm. is happening right now for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. That being said, so, though, yeah, I was just going to say that Jeff Jackson probably knows that, yeah, he's a, he's a fan of Chris Knobloch and, and Ken Holland, I, I imagine, as much as they want to say that he's removed from the decision-making process, how do you not go to, to Connor McDavid and, and at least gauge his, his interest or, or willingness? Like, can you, can you operate with a superstar in any sport and, and not have them at least aware of the decision-making, uh, the decision-making on a decision of this magnitude? Can you? Of course. I mean, you can't have the inmates running the asylum. And I think part of the the issue that the Oilers have run into so far this year, yeah, can they not get a stop? Uh-huh. Their goaltending is atrocious. Their defensive zone play is sloppy. It's soft. There's been questions about their compete. But the other part of this has been Connor McDavid is probably at 75% or whatever the number is. He also is still 126th in league scoring or something ridiculous. Like, it still comes back to the players and them not executing. Like, Jay Woodcroft taking the bullet on Sunday with a 643 points percentage and taking over and winning multiple rounds in the playoffs and only having one full season under his belt at the same time. It's a tough spot to be in to think that the player in any situation superstar best player in the world or not is sitting there advocating saying, you know what? This is entirely his fault. He's the guy that needs to go. Let's throw his body on the tarmac. Yeah. The other, the other thing you point out there is just McDavid's production this season, 10 points in, in 11 games. If you would have just told, forget an Oilers fan, just told any person who follows the NHL before the season that that's the case. And the Oilers are struggling. You draw a direct line there. And again, I don't think anyone's calling this McDavid's fault by any means to your point. He's clearly banged up dealing with something, but it, it is remarkable that we're just kind of, it does seem like that's kind of getting papered over a little bit in all of the, all of the discourse uh, s- surrounding Edmonton. Do we think there's a kind of cooling or not? I just shouldn't say cooling off period here, but do we think there's some impetus here to maybe make some moves? I mean, we know how tight they are up against the cap. I I suppose if they would have been able to make a move, maybe they did that before the coaching change. But do we think this is kind of it for the Oilers here? And I guess the other part of this that's a little interesting to me is, you know, you have Ken Holland at least partially making this hire, a guy who is not going to be the general manager, at least has the potential not to be the general manager going forward because of the contract status there. Are you surprised he is, he is, I shouldn't say as involved because he's a general manager, but there isn't a seem to be more of a kind of tandem in, in handling this. I, I know Jackson was out there speaking, but it still feels like this is very much Holland calling the shots and maybe, maybe I'm off base there. Yeah, I think you are. I think um, really it, to know and understand Ken Holland and his disposition, this isn't, a typical move that Ken Holland would make 13 games into a season. Mm. And I think personally that he was pushed to this position by Jeff Jackson, by Paul Coffey, their senior advisor, really at a certain point by ownership as well to make a move like this, um, to, to not allow this to further unravel. And so 
kind of take a step back and look at how this last 10 days has gone. They've waived Jack Campbell, sent him to the AHL. That was sort of the first easiest move on the checklist. Then you make the coaching change. They mentioned uh, multiple times in their press conference on Sunday the idea of getting to that quarter game mark and avoiding, you know, really being out of the mix entirely for the season. If this goes another three, four games where they they continue to lose and and don't look good doing it, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the next thing on the list be a seismic trade, whatever that looks like. How however big it is, they're going to have to do something to try and salvage the season because I don't see them throwing in the towel. I really don't. I laid out the math, and that's sort of a general indication of what they're thinking about internally, which is we need to get to the midway point this season at level ground. We need to get to 41 points in 41 games by the time that's over. And is there a path to do that? Yeah. It's really not that daunting for a team that, you know, was darn near 110 points last year and has the best player in the world, but it's going to take everyone to get there. And if they continue to falter, they're going to do everything they can to make sure that they get there. So you mentioned you mentioned Coffee there. He's going to join as as an assistant, and this isn't new. Or well, that role will be new. But he's been around the organization. He's been around the players. But there is a very direct line to ownership there. And you know, it's always it's like funny, literally direct. Line. Well, exactly. That's the thing is that you know it's always understood. Of course, there's communication among different levels of the team. But I mean, you'll even hear from the play, coaches of hey, we don't want to be in the room. We want to let the players handle this themselves. I definitely don't think they want the owner sitting there in the room. I, I just wonder about the implications of that. And look, Paul Coffey has been on both sides of this thing. He would understand that. But that that dynamic of it is all very interesting to me because, you know, maybe the players just don't think about this thing at all. But how can you not look at that guy in the room and say it's basically like Daryl Gates is sitting there? Well, put yourself in Chris Knobloch's shoes. <laughs> You're stepping onto the bench <laughs> as an NHL head coach for the first time. You do it in a city that you've got lots of connections to. You know a lot of the players. You coached a lot of them previously. And then you look to your left, and running your defense is not only one of the greatest defensemen of all time, but also just happens to be part of management. And you've got that guy looking over your shoulder in terms of how you're handling things. Personally, I think the best thing that Chris Knobloch can do, and I think this is why he was hired, it's one of his strengths, is... He's a type of coach that makes you feel good about your game. I think Paul Coffey, with the edge that he has, uh, with the, I don't want to say seriousness, but certainly the the work ethic and the intention to detail and, and maybe even some structure things that come with that. He hasn't coached at the NHL level, but you don't really need to when you've got a resume like he does. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be part of, not to say that Chris Knobloch doesn't have his own X's and O's and strategy and structure, mm-hmm. but... I think Paul Coffey is going to be a big part of that. Well, we'll see. Uh, winning is the the greatest cure-all for what's going on in Edmonton. Great deodorant. It's, yeah. It's what I've got on my Twitter profile. Winning is the best deodorant. <laughs> yeah. uh, that would certainly help in Edmonton. They haven't done it enough this season. Uh, Frank, always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one, guys. All right, Frank Sorvelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. He was our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit donvalleynorthlexus.com. This, to me, feels worse than it ever did. Like, it's okay, hmm. so Ken Holland, you can quibble with the track record, right? Yep. In Edmonton, not before this. He's a Hall of Famer. Like, he's literally in the Hall of Fame. He's three Stanley Cups. Yep. Like, it's, it's Ken Holland's one of the greatest living NHL executives 
that we've ever had. Yeah, I would have loved him in the non-cap era to be the least GM. Yep, they made the playoffs every year, uh, and they have made a conference final with him. And yeah, again, you can quibble with uh, Nick Nern or uh, Darnell Nurse, the contract. Yeah. There's more than a few, and he, like he was there, yeah, yeah. for the the Jack Campbell signing, and uh, yeah, he is the general manager, even if it wasn't his idea, whatever. But his again longer track record, without question. What it feels like is happening at Edmonton to mm-hmm. me, Brent, and I'm only further emboldened by that belief in talking to Frank okay. is that, I mean, he talks about the inmates running the asylum here with the players having a voice mm-hmm. or the generational player that is the face of that franchise that could be paid way more than he is, um, is the captain of that yep. team having a say and, and being an inmate running the assignment. It feels like the worst thing that can happen in pro sports is happening in Edmonton where ownership gets involved and the power structure gets flipped on its head. Again, Ken Holland, you can quibble with the tenure with, yep. uh, with uh, the tenure tenure in Edmonton. You cannot quibble with the overall body of work. Jeff Jackson brought in the former agent of the best player as the guy that's above him, who is seemingly making decisions that Ken mm-hmm. Holland would not make, whether that be firing the head coach or maybe demoting Jack Campbell at this point in the season. I had no problem with that, by the yep. way. I actually really had no problem with either things. But if Ken Holland decided that that's not the way he would have gone about things and the decision-making taking out of his hands, and the guy that is the owner's Mm -hmm. right-hand man being parachuted onto the NHL bench, like if I'm Ken Holland, and yeah, you're right to point out the contractual status. If I'm him, is this how I want to go out in, in the final stop of my Hall of Fame career? This feels like he's been totally undercut. I don't know how else you can look at it, but this is part of wanting to go into a season. Like we talk about Sheldon Keefe going into the season as though the players are going to look at him like, oh, you didn't have a contract beyond this year. How dare you tell me anything? Ken Holland does not have a contract and that actually affects the decisions he makes or has to make going forward this year with it being such an important one. And guess what? If the machine just kept rolling in Edmonton, then this would have been totally fine, but it didn't. It hit the skids early and it's never got on track. And now you look at a guy in Ken Holland, who is this how he wants to go out? What choice does he have? He either goes out like this or makes a huge stink and is seen to fight it. And I don't know what he resigned. Like none of those things are, are happening. It's just with, with Holland with to go out like this, you're right. It is not the spot he wants to be in at all. I just don't know what other choice he has there. I mean, again, like look who's above him. It's Connor McDavid's former agent who again had jobs in hockey before this. Like I think sure. sometimes you hear that and go, really? They just put it. No, no, this is like, this is a accomplished hockey man who can have that job. No one's saying he doesn't deserve to have it. The other part of this, I think, and you heard it, what Frank said is that sometimes this is what happens and you know, it goes too far the other way with GM LeBron stuff that we've seen. But this is sometimes what happens when the best player refuses to have a voice. Yeah. Is maybe he should be. And you don't want you don't want the player going full GM LeBron because that mm. hasn't worked very well and you're never going to see it with the NHL. I mean, one player doesn't have an impact in the exact same way. By the way, GM Kawhi, way worse than GM LeBron. Oh, so much, so much worse. And we'll talk about that in, in a second here. Thank you for bringing that up. But you want your best player to have a bit of a voice. You want them to stand up and say, I'd like this, I like that. Maybe you don't want them hiring the coach, mm-hmm. but you want them to have a voice in the direction of the team. And I think that because McDavid is so 
un, uncomfortable with that mm. element of it. And that's what it seems like from the outside looking in is that you're constantly guessing because the other part of this has to be mentioned. I don't think it's as much of an issue because, again, the former agent is the president there. But Connor McDavid, two years left on this contract. Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of you have to at least realize that's a part of this as well as well, keeping no, him happy. It, yeah. And that is what feels like is happening here. But, right. But because he won't tell anyone, <laughs> I know. it does They're seem guessing. like he won't They're like, say, here's the guys that you like. Here's sure, your former agent. Surely your junior coach is the guy you want in charge here. And like, does he? <laughs> the other part of this as well, and it's all it all is it's a it's a it's a rat snake. It's all tied in together here. But the idea of coffee, it's like, is he gonna have some input on the systems? Of course he is. Do you think they were able to do the advanced head coaching interviews that they mm-hmm. would do if they had just made this decision? And obviously they shouldn't have in the off season. Do you think they were able to have like a very detailed, long interview process to find out about the systems mm-hmm. that Chris Knobloch runs? No, it's not about that. It's about relationships. And guess what? That's a massive part of coaching. We have seen it here in spades, mm-hmm. but to pretend that it's not. And I do think there's, I think people are going to very much get their back up if, if that's why that, if, if they think that's why the hire was made, but McDavid being more vocal would just help everything so much more there. But I do understand his his side of, of things, right? Like, and, uh, as I'm not, I'm never going to relate to Connor McDavid, but I understand of like, do your job, right? Like, don't ask me to do other jobs. Like, here's the thing you asked me to do. I'm doing that job. You have other. I don't want to be responsible for this other thing that you're putting on me. And if I voice my opinion. I don't know how outsized, and I, I guess I can guess yeah. how outsized you're going to feel like that opinion is and how much we need to acquiesce to it. I don't want that. I don't want to be responsible. I want to have plausible deniability <laughs> when this thing blows up, despite the fact that he's going to be the biggest reason it isn't because of his play on the ice, not, well, pl- not his decision-making. And again, him. I don't think he hired him. But plausible deniability went out the door when your former agent became the team president. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, uh, like, maybe you, maybe there is church and state. Maybe you shook his hand on the day he stopped being your agent and said, all right, it's nice knowing you. We yeah. never speak again. <laughs> I highly doubt it's like that. Uh, dude, I just go back to that, that media availability, Jeff Jackson and Ken Holland. Yes, and, where they say opposite things of one well, another. And it just feels like Ken Holland's the guy that's just like, hey, am I saying the right thing? And like, here's the thing. And then Jeff Jackson's like, no, here's the real thing. Here's the messaging. Here's the talking point that we're actually, it just like Ken Holland felt so separate from mm-hmm. what was happening. It was sad in a way, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's this is what happens when I think I think the ultimate thing we can land on here is this is what happens when there's not one chief decision maker. Yeah. And boy, doesn't that go back to things we've talked about? Who like how many conversations we have about who pushed the button when well, it came to Jose Barrios? Like this is a thing across all sports. Mm. We've talked so much about this with baseball of who's the ultimate decider and all of that. It's it's kind of shocking that it's come this long to make its way into hockey. Well, yeah, and it's it's it is it's I mean it's. Kyle Dubas being the president in Pittsburgh. It's Brendan Shanahan being the Pittsburgh in in Toronto here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that if you are going to take over, especially somebody of the ilk of a Ken Holland who Mm -hmm. was viewed very much as the savior when he arrived in Edmonton, you you, got to make sure you get the title of president and general manager if you want to be in control there. 
unless they invent something that's like in between owner mm. and president. Like I guess governor. Like well, super- that that is the like that's the, another job is governor. <laughs> like that's one of Shanahan's jobs, I believe. He is president and alternate governor. I believe is the official title there. So yeah, they're there. Don't worry. Maybe they, they can hire Ken Holland as governor. Maybe he can yeah put his name in the mix to be also governor. They should get more people involved. Uh, what's Wayner doing these days? Can they throw him in there mm-hmm. just to confuse us all even more? All right, when we come back, mention GM Kawhi. Oh, not so great. God, he stinks. Could you imagine LeBron <laughs> shaded away Shea Gilgis Alexander for a ball people, uh, Paul George? Yeah, it's a rough one. God, we'd never stop talking about it. Also, he traded Anthony Bennett. Yeah. And traded Andrew Wiggins. Like, yeah. come on. It also feels like the trade for James Harden, not so great. Oh. Who could have predicted that? They're 0 4 in everyone. the James Harden era in LA with the Clippers. Are the Clippers the team that? Most neutrals root against more than any other in North American pro sports. We'll talk about that and more next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Listener, if you think that it's like a work Brent Gunning's upset about the Leafs in Sweden. Let me assure you that during the five-minute breaks, I, I oh, continue to get a, an earful of, of Sweden talk. I actually left to try to save you and Jeff, our producer, Hazo, from it. And then guess what? I was screaming at him, and he just walked away. That's what happened. <laughs> he can. He can go on the other That's side right. of the glass. You got to stay here. <laughs> But you get to, but you also get me when I have to have a modicum of professionalism when the red light goes on. I guess barely. Uh, you know, don't ta- if you don't if you don't want me to just complain about Sweden, I, just like move on. It's not that I don't want you. Kind of want it. I want it like directed at a, at a certain area of this. No spewing it's, hate it's, and yeah. anger in every way whatsoever. <laughs> your anger, no, it's you, actually, I shouldn't say that. Your anger is very directed at the fact that there's too many non-leaf game days over the next two weeks. That's the area of most concern for you. Would you agree? Um, 50-50. That coupled with, like, because I know, I know we're not supposed to or whatever. People keep telling me this is going to get beaten out of me, but it's like it is 50% the lack Mm. of Leafs game days, 50% the effect I believe this will have on the Leafs. Like Mm. they just played the most galvanizing game this team is physically capable of playing, (laughs) and then they get told to sit down and go play at the Avicii Arena (laughs) at 2 p.m. Eastern Uh on a Friday Mm -hmm. six days from then. Uh, I think we're going to talk to our, uh, Damian Cox later on this week. Who has yeah. an interesting story out on the Toronto Star right the now. The right, the right column for our trying times is the, what he wrote. The, <laughs> the, the, the part of it that is, has me, yeah, thinking the most about this trip is that what is the messaging behind it? Because in the oh, NFL, oh, is it in the, the part N- that it doesn't make any the, sense in the NFL? Yeah, okay, uh, our Germany. And London going to have NFL franchises? Maybe not, but maybe. Yeah. And like, is there room to grow in those countries yeah. as far as yeah, marketing to them the, sure. the not number one sport in those countries? A hundred percent. Hundred percent. I think hockey's the number one sport in Sweden. Swedish I, elite league is like pretty, pretty thriving good. business there. And they, they like soccer too, and, and maybe it's one in one A, but yeah, hockey I, I don't think really needs to grow. At a, at a grassroots a no. grassroots level in in Sweden, no, it doesn't. Like, 
the game that they sent, the teams that you should send to places, the Yotes and the Kings in Melbourne, Australia. Mm-hmm. Honestly, month, that, but that one makes the, more sense. That's what I'm saying. A month before the season starts, a preseason game. Hey, you live in a desert country. Look at this ice. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Like, I just very easily can see the growing of a game there. Mm-hmm. We just talked to Gord about how one of the most storied franchises in this league has Swedish royalty running throughout it. We have Swedes going in the Hall of Fame seemingly every year. I think they know hockey. I think they like hockey. I think they're buying until time zones don't exist yeah. anymore as much hockey as you can sell them. Do we know, like, is there money exchanging hands here? Is there a financial incentive? Is the, somebody, like, is, we talk about the Swedish king, like, is, is Carl, he, he's, old Carl, he's got uh, some ducats, I'm thinking, like, is he throwing some down on the middle of the table and, and, and asking for these games and saying, hey, for my money, we can get the Toronto Maple Leafs, I bet. <laughs> and is that what's happening? Well, okay. Um, that would have to go in. Like, 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 I'll play along. That would have to go into HRR. That would go into hockey-related revenue. <laughs> if he's paying a billion dollars and it causes the cap to go up, then great. But if it's four million uh, bucks, like, let's just say it's a nice round number. This is... It's not, though. That's the other thing. Here's the money that's exchanging hands that I know of. There might be some of that. But the money that I know is exchanging hands mm. is whoever is a home team in Sweden, so not the Leafs, because guess what? It costs a lot more money, gets bought out for one of their home dates. So the Leafs are going to play the Wings and Wild. That will be considered home dates for that. So the NHL would say, okay, you would have the Leafs in town. It would You would bring in X much gate. Here's what you get in, in return. Also, we were talking about this. The Sens don't want to lose their Leaf game. Of course not. No. I'm not sure the Red Wings are overly thrilled about that. Not the nope. same. It's not quite the same, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of Leaf fans who make that trip. So well, I didn't. The Leafs getting screwed over in a way I didn't even realize. There's some Leaf fan in Chatham mm-hmm. who loves TJ Brody mm-hmm. and wants to go watch his team play the Wings and has one less opportunity to do so now. Here's what I would also say to put a capper on it for now. <laughs> Not for the week, <laughs> I was going to say. But for now, is that if there is something that the NHL, if there is, and I'm not saying there is, but if there is something about this this trip that the NHL doesn't necessarily want coming to light, whether it be money exchanging sure. hands, the Leafs are the wrong team to put there because yeah, uh, yeah. with a it's lack of all the game, light, it's all the light. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have some questions to be asked. Uh, I, I would like to have an answer as to, to I, why in fact they are there. Yeah, the, we and we talked to we talked to Joshua Cloak about this last week. The thing I'm most curious about is I'm I'm very curious as to who was leading the charge on this one because I'm sure there are big the factions. motivations. Yeah, I just yeah. want to know what the motivation is. Well, I mean, are. I know what the NHL's motivation is. If you're going to go over there, you might as well bring the Leafs or the Canadians or pick your pick your blue blood franchise. I don't even know if the Canadians like just because of so much of their French lore. I don't know how much of that plays over there. So you got to bring one of those kind of no, but blue- you have to make a, a financial argument for that, right? Like, do they want to do that just because? Well, like, they no, want to do it's the be- exact. It's the exact thing we've been talking about with Peter King. Of yeah, you can look. You can give Germany a Patriots game, but you mm-hmm. gotta also occasionally take the Chiefs or the Dolphins or you know a good team over there. I understand that that aspect of it, but the thing I'm very I'm the most curious about, and I'd love to get an answer from this uh, from someone is obviously there are people in MLSE and with the Leafs who think, oh, this is great because their job isn't the hockey team. Their job is marketing or ticket sales or whatever whatever it is. Though, but 
I would like to know, was the league saying you're going? Were the Leafs putting their hand up saying, please let us go? We know when the Amazon 24-7 series happened, they volunteered to go forward, and the understanding was maybe more teams would follow suit. None of them did. So I'm curious if this is once again the Leaf putting their hand up or if this was the league kind of nudging them along and them being good partners, which wouldn't be the first time they've tried to boon the the league financially. Yeah, I would also like to know what kind of a spectacle this is in Sweden. Is this like a national holiday when they play a couple of games? The Toronto Maple Leafs, the storied franchise that does exist there, considering the Swedish royalty. Would that, that change have... anything for you? Like if it, like, because no, 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 for no. me it doesn't change a thing. No, I, I, I do think that that would be cool though. Like, like I would, sure. I, if that's not the case, actually, that would change something for me. Okay. Like if if it was just like, yeah, it's another game. So, like, it's a, so really, what we've got to is it's a floor that must be reached <laughs> yes. and nothing can be gained from it. Yes. Okay. Hey, I, buddy, that's my take the whole time. So I'm happy to have you with me. I'm. <laughs> Slowly, by the end of it, you're going to hate this trip more than I am. And all of you are going to hate it just as much, too. Yay. Yeah, especially especially you driving to work right now, who's mm. probably going to be sitting at a cubicle or a desk at 2 p.m. on Friday. Just or remember that. Digging a wet hole, you know. That's, oh, yeah, our guy out there in wet pit land. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no segue. Don't try. There's a, you know what's a wet pit? The L.A. Clippers. <laughs> They're not. They are a pit of despair, though. Boy. 0-4 in the James Harden era, 0-5 in their last five. They yeah. just lost. They just handed a John Morantless Grizzlies team just their second win of the season. I, it must be better than this, but mm-hmm. maybe not by a factor of a million, which is what they would need to be if they if they want to be a Larry O'Brien trophy contender. Um let's actually let's play this clip from uh Mavs broadcaster Brian Damaris, who was succinctly running down the resume Mm -hmm. of James Harden and and where he lands now in Los Angeles. Ask the producer to pipe this into the Clippers locker room. (laughs) If I can talk to you, James, I hope you're taking notes. I'm telling you in advance, you're welcome for the wisdom I'm about to spew. Because, listen, I get on my knees every night and pray for someone to believe in me like Daryl Borey believed in you. And what did you say afterwards? You said, they didn't hand me the reins. You're the point guard. You're holding the reins. And what did you do when you had the reins? You scored nine points in game seven against Boston. You blew a 3-2 series lead. So they co- they fired their coach. Not good enough. You broke up with your guy believed in you again. You said, the bright lights of L.A., that's where I want to go. Let's see if that works. Listen, James, have you ever had those friends who had bad roommates? Over and over, they complained about their bad roommates. This guy's terrible. The bad roommate here. They never thought to be self-aware enough that they're the bad roommate. They're the problem. Hey, James, you're the problem. If this doesn't work this year in this system with this team, then you're going to go and point fingers at everybody else, and you're going to go back home, and you're going to start swiping right for another team, and there's not going to be anybody left. Because, James, you're not the beard. You're not the system. You're the problem. Yeah, pretty clearly. Uh, and when he hits free agency, because that's the the whole deal. That, that's why him and Daryl Morley, uh, Morey butted heads at the very end there is that he was expecting an extension Shocker. to come his the money. way. Yeah. And it didn't. But yeah, when this fails and he hits free agency and uh, is not viewed as the difference maker that mm-hmm. he's been viewed, and a former MVP, and rightly so at times. The last American to win MVP. Uh, Joel Embiid, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he put, uh, yeah, I guess he's yeah. an American citizen. American-born <laughs> player, maybe? Anyways. God. Anyways, yeah, so all that very... I don't need to be any more annoyed today. Very, very correct. And I I would say that before James Harden arrived, there was probably a segment and probably many people in the Mm. the very city that we currently sit 
that viewed the Clippers as a team that they fervently rooted against. Like, mm. cheered Kawhi when he gets announced sure. at these games at, at Scotiabank Arena, but then once the opening tip happens, mm-hmm. you root, root, root against yeah. the Clippers, even more than you root for the Raptors to win an individual yes. game. Nothing would be more painful than to watch Kawhi win somewhere else after 2019. But I think generally the Clippers were not viewed with derision outside of this market, outside of Los Angeles. It was mm-hmm. kind of like a curiosity and, yep. hey, Steve Ballmer, what a weird dude. And I don't know. The, yeah, but the the fact that a superstar would choose a location and then bring his buds and create a super team, mm-hmm. like that's not unusual, especially in this day and age. No. The James Harden thing changes it for me. Mm-hmm. And it's it's him combined with the Kawhi stuff. Sure. Co- combined with the Paul George stuff, to me, the Clippers are the team in all of North American pro sports right now that if you have no rooting interest and you like to root against somebody, yeah. that's the number one team. Now you can point to in baseball, it's like, I guess the Yankees because of their yeah, big spending always, ways. Yeah. But I mean, the Yankees have, that's not been a dominant force. I would get it if like the Yankees were winning division titles year over year over year and they were buying players and, you know, they just seemed unbeatable. That's not the case. Not the case in New York with the Mets. Not the case with the Dodgers. The Dodgers won one title and it was in the COVID. No, Astros most hated team in baseball, I think, by the common man. But it's not the fervor it was fresh off of that. Nope. That's really, really died down. In the NFL, it's certainly not the Patriots. Like you could have convinced me at one point it was the Patriots. There's And who really hates the Chiefs despite the fact that they're a dynasty? You all are trying i'm getting there don't worry no they're a likable bunch to me it's the clippers like i don't know who's particularly close to the clippers as far as a team that if you don't have a rooting interest if you don't have a team and you're looking to get ginned up for something yeah it's rooting against james harden it's rooting against the clippers and it's rooting against Kawhi leonard but you shouldn't be doing it yet you shouldn't be doing it yet because if you think james harden getting there and immediately falling flat on his face is embarrassing and it is you know what you should really want is James Harden feeling himself heading into the playoffs and this team finding some modicum of it only to watch it all come crashing down because we've seen this movie 10 million times before. Do I think that's going to happen? No, but regular season failure to sit in Nelson months and <laughs> over at the Clippers in November, please, let's get some higher stakes. I need this team to find its footing so they can inevitably tear at each other's throats and James Harden can have an air ball. The fact that he has had, I think he has had as many air balls as he has had games played for the Clippers right now or really, really close to it, it is incredible. So I am with you in that we should all be rooting against the Clippers, but not yet. This is too low a stakes. You don't want it now. You need it in yeah. May. Unless they miss the playoffs entirely. No, but even then, it's like, it's a quick, it's a like, okay, they're out. No, you want it when at the, at the know, peak man. of the sport, LeBron sends them home or something like that. Oh, Kawhi's going to be a Hall of Famer, right? He has two finals of MVPs. Course. Like, he's one of the of greatest course. players in the history of the sport. And boy, what a different career it looks like, even as a Hall of Famer. But if he had stayed healthy a couple of seasons, it's a different yep. deal. Totally. <sighs> I, I, I try to fight against the schadenfreude that roils within me. Mm. But it feels to me at this moment that this has to be a key part of the Kawhi Leonard discussion at the conclusion of his career, that he chose comfort mm. over a ready-made, ready-to-compete champion in Toronto. He didn't even have to sign up long-term, right? Like, yep. it was, hey, we'll do year-to-year. We don't care. You can eventually go back to L.A. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, whatever. 
You can win here. You just won here. And granted, there were circumstances, Kevin Durant destroying his Achilles and then Clay Thompson going out too. But come on, we can do this again. He knew that. He didn't have to blow up a franchise. It was right there. And he decided instead of doing that, that he could play GM, Mm -hmm. that he could be comfortable in Los Angeles and not have the the freezing cold Februarys that we have here in Toronto. And I think that's increasingly getting higher on the Wikipedia page entry for Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, but at the end of the day, nothing is going to be above two-time champ, two-time yep. finals yep. MVP with two different teams. That's the thing that will always kind of trump it all. And he was never, he's never going to be Jordan. So the idea of him having to get to six or whatever, he got his two chips, he yeah, did he, in different plays. I'm not, I would have done exactly what you're saying. But I just think that given the career he had already built to that point and the health stuff, it was it was the most obvious thing that was always going to happen. Yeah, there's going to be pictures of him on the same team as James Harden. That's not good. No. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunnick, Sportsnet 590 fan. Good, good morning. morning.